Thank you for joining us for Sermons on Demand from Friendship Grace Brethren Church. We provide these videos as a way to share the pulpit messages and teachings offered at Friendship Grace Brethren Church. If you find these videos a helpful resource, please drop us a note at info at friendshipgracebrethren.com. Now open your Bibles and get ready to dig into the Word of God. James chapter 3, verse 1. Not many should become teachers, my brothers, because you know that we will receive a stricter judgment. You may be seated. Pleasing sacrifices. We've come to the last section of the book of Hebrews. I've really enjoyed working through Hebrews uh, this time. Sometimes finding things that I had not seen previously. Sometimes I was, I was discovering things in the text that I didn't get to see the first time. For whatever reason, God didn't give me a glimpse into those at that time. I trust that you also have learned a few things as we've worked our way through the book. I'm already working on our next series, which is going to be from the Gospel of Luke. I've never done Luke, and so this is going to be a new experience for us. It's, it's a long, kind of a long book. There's a lot, a lot going on there. But I think it's the only passage of Scripture that comes from a Gentile. I think Luke was a Gentile, and so we'll talk about that more next week. This week we're finishing up our study of the book of uh, Hebrews. Last week as we worked through the first section of chapter 13, we, we saw that we should always show hospitality because you don't know who's coming through the door. Maybe one of you guys is an angel. Nah, nah, I doubt it. We also were shown that we need to have uh, a display of personal integrity. How we live our life, how we love, and so forth. There needs to be personal integrity. We ended last week by reading briefly chapter 13, verses 12 and 13. I want to begin with those verses again. Go over them again because they're important. They're all important, but because these, kind of the bridge between these two pericopes. So starting in Hebrews chapter 13, verse 12. Therefore, Jesus also suffered outside the gate so that he might sanctify the people by his own blood. Let us then go to him outside the camp, bearing his disgrace. In the previous section of Hebrews 13, the author talks about the carcasses of the Day of Atonement sacrifices. Those, those lambs and bulls and goats that were sacrificed for on the Day of Atonement their, their carcasses, you know, part of them was offered there on the altar. Their blood was sprinkled. But then the rest of their carcass wasn't eaten by the, by the Levites, by the uh, priests, as many of the other sacrifices were. These were taken outside of the camp and completely incinerated. The remainder were, were moved outside of the camp. In that context, the author then reminds us that Jesus also suffered outside the gate. The word suffering is the Greek word pathen. It's used by the author with the same sense of not only suffering, but also Jesus dying as well. It's not just his physical suffering, it's the fact that he died as well. That's part and parcel of the word. 
It was Jesus' death that provided a way for the Father to sanctify his chosen. To sanctify is to make holy. It's one of those theological words that has two components to it. Obviously, when we're saved, we're not yet holy. We still have sin within us. The first part of being sanctified is what we call progressive sanctification. That's the lifelong journey of becoming more Christ-like. When we're taken home to heaven, either through death or rapture, we'll be fully sanctified and made completely holy. It's through Jesus' sacrifice made on the cross that God has the option to begin the process of sanctification in our lives. Just like as the sacrifice of the Lamb on the Day of Atonement provided a temporary covering of sins, the sacrifice of Jesus on the cross provides propitiation for our sins. Remember, propitiation is the idea of of satisfaction. The requirements have been met for God to forgive us. While the requirements have been met, we have not yet experienced them all. We still need progressive sanctification. We still need glorification. That's all coming. But for God, who stands outside of time and space, it's already happened because he's always present. I, I can't really wrap my head around that. I want to, but I can't really figure out how that works. So for God, it's already happened. For us, it's still pending. But because God has said it will happen, and he, he can't ever really speak in the future, he's speaking always in the present, it's as good as done, right? It can't not happen now. Because we're sanctified by Jesus' blood, we should be willing to enter the fray and suffer the same approach that Jesus endured. Look very closely at verse 13. Therefore, let us go outside the camp and bear the reproach he endured. Not only does outside the camp indicate where Jesus was executed, in verse 13, I think it also means that the church is to go outside of Judaism. For the early church, especially the church in Jerusalem, that's really a big deal. Because their entire existence has all all been about being set apart, being separate, being separated from the people around them. For all of Israel's history, they were told to be holy, to be sanctified, to be set apart. Now they're being challenged to go outside the camp to the rest of the world. Not only go outside the camp, but not to force those outside the camp to come into the camp. Don't force them to be Jews before they can be believers separate from that. The author is pushing the early church to follow Jesus outside the camp and see more people come to know and follow Jesus. That's pretty good advice. So here's your first question today. How can we go outside the camp in 2024? What do we need to do as followers of Jesus to get outside the camp? Get out of our comfort zone. Or bring our comfort zone with us. What an interesting statement. Because that's moving your comfort zone, isn't it? That's moving to where you're, you're comfortable where they are. Very good, Harper. Good job. I would use a crane to get my comfort zone moved. From a four-year-old, that makes perfect sense. The answer is, that is what we've been working through in our engagement project. Engaging with our neighbors, our families, our friends, even our families, even our families. 
Going outside the camp involves, a, involves us taking the gospel to the world. So why should we take the gospel to the world? For we do not have an enduring city here. Instead, we seek the one to come. We need to engage our neighbors because what's around us is not going to last. It's, it's going away. The world is a finite place. Only those who come to the cross will have a residence in the city that is to come. That is the new heaven, the new earth, and the new Jerusalem. You have the cure for the cancer of sin, which has affected 100% of the people around you. You're not going to find someone in one of your neighbors, one of your family, one of your co-workers, anywhere around that isn't infected with cancer of sin. You're not going to find it. The cure is the only way to get to the new, excuse me, the new heaven, the new earth, and the new Jerusalem by being called by, the, by God the Father and saved by Jesus the Son. We've already, we already have access to that new Jerusalem, and we should share that access with those around us. We need to engage with our neighbors. Therefore, through him, let us offer, or let us continually offer up to God, a sacrifice of praise that is the fruit of the lips that confess his name. Remember the overall context of the book of Hebrews. The transition from the old covenant to the new covenant. The old covenant was characterized by the sacrificial system that did not grant eternal life. All of those bulls and, and lambs and and those sacrifices on the Day of Atonement never provided eternal life. As the Hebrews transitioned from an old covenant, they were to continue to offer up a sacrifice of praise. For those who are not Jews, Jewish and part of the old covenant, we also have an injunction to offer up a sacrifice of praise continually. So here's your second question. What's a sacrifice of praise? Our worship. Praising God for who He is, our worship. How about praising God when you don't feel like it? Oh, yeah. Yeah, praising God when you don't feel like it. That's a big one, isn't it? Because if we only, to use Dell's words, if we only praise God when we feel like it, that's whose script? That's ours. It's absolutely all about us, it's not about Him at all. We have to dissect the word the author uses here to, to have it make sense, I think. A sacrifice is an offering of something of value to God. Now think about this. We're to offer continually to God a sacrifice of praise. That means it's something of value to us. It may be your time. It may be your talent. It may be your treasure. Do you take time each day to, do you set aside time each day dedicated to seeing and hearing God? Or are you too busy to do that? God's running the entire world. I mean, every little thing that's happening, he's, he's involved. We can't find 15 minutes a day to, to spend time with him, to hear him, to not be distracted by everything else in the world. None of us are that busy. If you are, it's because you're writing your own script, to use Dell's words. 
Do you take time to communicate with God each day? Sacrificing your time to hear from the creator and sustainer of the universe. Do you use your birthright talents and spiritual gifts to glorify God? There's a difference. Birthright talents are the things that you just naturally can do. And then the spiritual gifts are those gifts that God has endowed you with as you become a believer. Do you use your treasure to glorify God? That's, That's the wealth that God has given us. Not only is the question, do you use your time, talent, or treasure to glorify God, but do you do it continually? Seeking God on Monday morning and then not again until you get to church, if you get to church on Sunday, is not seeking God continually. Doing something for Jesus on Sunday morning in church for 15 minutes is not seeking God continually. It's not something we do once and forget it. It needs to be a lifestyle. Something that happens continually. I got too distracted in the house and I have to go outside where things can keep me or I I can keep them from focusing on, on God. And so it doesn't matter how cold it is. The other day it was like, it was like 38 degrees out there. I, I, I had long pants on. I had my quilt on and I had the fire table going But I have to do that because everything else in the house is going to distract me no matter where I go. That's a sacrifice because I don't like being cold. So the question is, do you use your time and talent or treasure to glorify God continually? Do not neglect to do good and to share what you have for such sacrifices are pleasing to God. The author then restates the same idea. We should do good and share what we have. Many commentators view share what we have as a uh, as giving financially. I think it's way more than that. We need to share the gospel. We need to share our time. We need to look to God every day. Whether it's in the morning or in the evening, sometime you need to communicate with God every day. We need to share what you just naturally can do to honor him. You need to share what, you, what God has given you physically. It needs to be a way of life that we live. Last week we saw that we should be hospitable. That's part of sharing what we have. We should be engaging with our neighbors and sharing the truth of the gospel. It doesn't happen in one time. You walk down the street, you see him, you lead him to the Lord. It doesn't happen that way. It might take years to develop relationships with them. You just might have to go and shovel their driveway. Well, not here in Florida. But those of you that live up north may have to do that. I think you get the point of our sharing what we have. Verse 17, obey your leaders and submit to them for they are keeping watch over your souls as those who will have to give an account. Let them do this with joy and not with groaning for that would be of no advantage to you. I think you know where I stand on this verse. This verse is a burden to me. This is, the, the author tells the church to obey their leaders presumably the church leadership there in that local church. 
We're to obey the church leadership. Why? Because they're keeping watch over your soul. How can you have some insurance that the church leaders will be what is right? Because are, are, are leading you in what's right. How can you do that? Because you need to know that I'm being held accountable. Because we have to give an account. If we add what James says to the mix, I read it earlier, not many of you should become teachers, my brothers, for you know that we who teach will be judged with a greater strictness. I'm going to have to give an account for your souls. Don't mess me up. God's going to be very strict with me for your souls. Obey your leaders and submit to them. For they are keeping watch over your souls as those who will have to give an account. Let them do this with joy and not groaning, for that would be of no advantage to you. Here's your third question. Besides my having to give an account with more strict judge, what else do you see in Hebrews 13 to 17? Not just the fact that, that the leadership has to give an account to a strict God. What else do you see here? What's, what, what else is being said there? You have to obey and submit to them. Obey and submit, okay. What else? The book of Hebrews was written to a Jewish church, probably even the church in Jerusalem. The Jews saw the leaders of Israel, especially the high priest, take privileges, great privileges of their position, but ultimately not many responsibilities. Being the leader of a church, I don't care about the size of the church. It has to have some very heavy responsibilities and not very many privileges. There are not many, very many privileges today to being an ordained clergy member. I do get to deduct from my income tax what it costs to pay the mortgage and maintain the house. That's kind of cool. Par clergy parking places? What stores do you go to? Not any that I go to. Oh, at the hospital, yeah. That's it. That, that, and though, you know what? Those are normally filled by handicapped. So I, I get to de deduct the cost of the house on my taxes. But that's more than offset by the fact that I have to pay both sides of my income tax. So, I, I, it's a wash. I remember when we moved to Florida in 1969, Uncle Bernie got a significant discount on the cost of the toll for the Sanibel and Cape Coral bridges. There was a clergy discount. It, I mean, it was, it was quite, quite handsome then. There used to be, that discount doesn't exist anymore, by the way. There used to be more privileges to being clergy. You, you got to be looked at as somebody with some authority and somebody that you automatically should respect. Anymore, that's not the case. But for the Jews that are receiving this letter, their leadership exploited their positions to the point that the Sanhedrin became very wealthy, much like our politicians today, exploiting their position for their own benefit. But that's not what the church leaders are to do. I didn't become a pastor because of the privileges that came with it. I became a pastor because God told me to. Along with all that comes with the reality that I have a weight of your souls, 
knowing that God will hold me accountable for it, and he's judging me with a stricter judgment. His pencil's going to be a little bit sharper when he's judging me than somebody that's not in church leadership. Now, I admit this all sounds self-serving, but it's verses like this that I'm, that I'm committed to preaching through the books of the Bible. It's verses like this that force me to do that. Because I wouldn't touch this with a 10-foot pole if I wasn't preaching through the book of Hebrews. Because it sounds self-serving. The instructions in this verse are to the church to do what God has called them to do as their leaders, whom they are to follow. God wants you to be good followers of Jesus so that I don't have to groan. Look what he says in the verse. Obey your leaders and submit to them since they keep watch over your souls as those who will give an account so that they can do this with joy and not with grief. For that wouldn't be profitable for you. Let me say here that my joy is not your prime concern. Whether or not I'm joyous, joyful in, in, in serving Jesus in, in this church, that's not your primary concern. Following Jesus is your primary concern. And when you follow Jesus, I will be joyful. My joy is not why you are to serve Jesus. It is a byproduct. I thank you for the joy that you do give me. Verse 18 and 19. Pray for us. For we are sure that um, we are sure that we have a clear conscience desiring to act honorably in all things. I urge you the more earnestly to do this in the order that I may be restored to you sooner. Immediate context would indicate that the author is a leader in the church and that he was speaking with experience. He asked for prayer as the leadership leads the church with the weight of their souls on his back. The leadership team wants to do things properly and honorably. Verse 19 seems to indicate that the author is not present with the church and is hoping to get them get back to them soon. Possibly he's in prison. That seems reasonable to me based on the overall context here. I want to get out of prison soon so that I can get back to you. Now we move into a, a section of the book I call the, the benediction. Hebrews 13, 20 and 21 now may the God of peace who brought again, from our, uh, brought again from the dead our Lord Jesus, the great shepherd of the sheep, by the blood of the eternal covenant, equip you with everything good that you may do, this, do his will, working in us that which is pleasing in us, in his sight, I'm sorry, pleasing in his sight, through Jesus Christ, to whom be glory forever and ever. Amen. The author begins to close the book. He's, he's beginning to tie a knot on the, uh, tie a ribbon on this. He asks God to give the congregation everything good so that they can do what God has called them to do. The author wants the church to do what's pleasing in God's sight. God, give them what they need to do that. That's what Dell was talking about earlier. Equipping the saints to accomplish the work of the ministry. That's my prayer for you, that God gives you that. That you see your neighbors and your co-workers and your friends and you see how to communicate with them and that you do that. 
that you have the joy of leading somebody to Jesus. There is nothing like it. It's even more fun than defibrillating somebody. I've done both. It's more fun than doing this. The author wants the church to do what's pleasing in God's sight. All because of this. All, all of this is because the sacrifice of Jesus and the church being sanctified. Dear God, give them what they need in order to accomplish. That includes the leadership themselves. That we would do what we need to do so that you can do what you need to do. It's so fitting the way Dell finished the, uh, the question and answer talking about the, the mission of the leadership of the church is to equip the church to do what God has commanded them to do. It's upside down in most congregations. We work for his glory. Brothers and sisters, I urge you to receive... Oh, no wonder they're different on the screen than on my notes. I, I selected the wrong version on, my, on the screen. I appeal to you, brothers, bear with my word of exhortation, for I've written to you briefly. You should know that our brother Timothy has been released, with whom uh, I shall see you if he comes soon. Greet all the leaders and all the saints, those who come from Italy send you greetings. Grace be with all of you. The author appeals to the church because he wrote, he wrote briefly. He said, listen, pay attention to what's being said because he didn't want to bloviate. He said, I'm writing to you this short letter, not really that short, but this short letter because there's no time for me to tell you everything I need to tell you. You need to pay attention to what I said. He then gives some personal information. Timothy has been released. How did he know? I suspect because he was still in prison. It seems like the author, whoever this is, maybe Barnabas. A lot of people think Paul, but it just doesn't fit to me. I think maybe Barnabas wrote this. And he's still in prison. Timothy's been released. And he's hoping he'll be released soon. Apparently he was being held somewhere where some Italians were either being held or were, were present. Maybe he was in prison in Rome. And he's writing back to the church in Jerusalem. By the way, that's why many think that this is the Apostle Paul, because we know he was in prison in Rome. Many uh, commentators argue that the author was not in prison, but was traveling, perhaps in Rome. It makes sense to me that he was in prison, but we don't really know. Since we, we don't know who the author is, it becomes really difficult for us to determine where he was or what his circumstances were. It just said, I can't be there. Timothy's been released. Maybe we'll get together soon. He encourages the congregation to greet the leaders there and greet the rest of the congregation. Continue to be held together by this bond of being the ecclesia, he says. He closes with a call for the grace for, for grace for the entire church. Grace be with you all. Very often the end of the letter or book contains some of the most important instructions. You know, you put it at the end so it's the last thing they read, so it's, it's foremost in their mind. In these concluding chapters, the author reminds the readers of the urgency of caring for needy believers, building up the family and following Jesus. The congregation was reminded to emulate their leaders as they followed Jesus. 
Throughout the closing chapters, there is an emphasis on properly following Jesus and pleasing God. God loves our obedience and our worship. He is the only one that can equip us to do his will. We have the responsibility to serve him by focusing on him and his will. Jesus provided the Father with the bridge necessary to bring us from the old covenant of atonement to the new covenant of propitiation. Jesus is the high priest of the new covenant, granting us access to the throne of God directly. No longer do we have to wait outside of the the veil. We have access into the throne room directly. That access leads us to anticipate that we will spend eternity with him. It's all about serving him, doing what he wants to do, the way he wants to do it, the when he wants to do it, continually. Let's pray. Father, thank you for all that you do for us. Thank you for calling us to be your children. Father, my desire is, after completing the book of Hebrews now, that we understand a little bit better that we're not Jews in replacement, but we are we are chosen people, chosen to be members of the new covenant. You have written on our hearts. You've instilled the Holy Spirit in us. You dwell within us. You've called us to a mission, a mission of serving you, of following you, of engaging with our neighbors, of doing what you want us to do. Teach us to do that. God, I, I pray that, that this congregation is equipped to do that. That we're equipped to engage our neighbors and our families and our friends. And that we continue to reach out in ways that we can. The ways that you equip us to do. Thank you, Father. We love you. And our desire is to always continually serve you. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for watching or listening to this teaching on demand from Friendship Grace Brethren Church. Please consider sending us an email at info at friendshipgracebrethren.com to let us know how this teaching may have helped you. Please also consider joining us in person at Friendship Grace Brethren Church, located at 10251 Metro Parkway, Suite 116, Fort Myers, Florida, just south of the intersection of Metro and Colonial Boulevard. Sunday school begins at 9 and worship service at 10 a.m. We look forward to seeing you in person at Friendship Grace Brethren Church.